0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So, once again, no smoking in this theater.
1: Mm. Thank you for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk. uh, Oh, Christ.
0: Restart? Looper. Yeah, you want to run that one back? Uh, Looper. DJ, run that shit back.
1: Uh, Thank you, everybody. It's the Gyoza. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trielon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at TriLove Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trialon Cinema. My name is Jason Daphnis, your host, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus.
2: I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. I'm Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH.
0: I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease.
1: And we are pleased once again in quarantine to be joined by a very special guest. We have Matt Clark with us. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt.
3: Thanks so much for having me on. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at the Mipolis Matt, MPLS Matt.
1: I'm glad that I'm not the only one who pronounces that Mippolis. I I typically go for the straight Mipples. Uh, (laughs) I'm a Mipples man myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a more vulgar name you could refer to the combination of these two cities with um, that I made to my mom once when we were first visiting here a few years back she demanded to come with me to see where I was going to be interning and, uh, and I said hey. it and she smacked me on the back of the head
2: that's when i met jason that was very that is exciting. when you met yeah that Origin. was the, that was <laughs>
1: literally origins
4: he made a cool vulgar joke and you were like i'm gonna be in a podcast this guy's cool kid. yeah <laughs> five yeah. years
2: from now I'm gonna yeah remember. like six years from now anyway <laughs> uh we're talking about a movie i think we're right? talking
1: about a film uh un película uh live streamed i'll let aaron give the rundown aaron take it away
0: sure uh, we are talking about Shogun Assassin, uh, 1980 samurai film. Uh, this was a kind of special circumstance. It was a production, a viewing, I guess, put on by 36chambers.com. Uh, and it was a kind of online virtual viewing party with, uh, uh, Dan Halstad, who runs the Hollywood Theater. Uh, and then also, uh, the Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan, kind of famous rapper, producer, um, Musical, virtuoso, extraordinaire, um, who very influenced by martial arts films, kung fu films, samurai films, uh, and they, him and Dan kind of talked about this movie, how influential and important it was to both of them. Um, so yeah, it's a 1980 film. Uh, it was created, uh, by editing together, uh, sequences from the first two films in the Lone Wolf and Cub series. So this is kind of an American release that combines two of those. Uh, samurai, Japanese samurai films. Um, The Lone Wolf and Cub series very generally tells the story of a samurai and his son traveling across Japan, uh, trying to evade death or capture um, from the uh, assassins of a powerful shogun. Uh, Shogun Assassin specifically uses footage from the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies, uh, which are Lone Wolf and Cub Sword of Vengeance and Lone Wolf and Cub Baby Cart at the River Sticks. Uh, takes about 12 minutes from the former and it uses most of the latter. Um, directed by both those films, directed by Kenji, uh, Misumi, and, uh, the kind of American contact who edited the films and kind of put Shogun Assassin together was Robert Houston, uh, of, uh, Hills Have Eyes fame. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of an interesting experience. A lot of the proceeds, uh, went to various independent, uh, cinemas and whatnot that are impacted by, uh, the current circumstances with coronavirus
1: excellent thank you very much aaron uh so this episode comes as the result of matt reaching out and seeing if we were going to be attending this because again uh the Trilon is partial beneficiary of some of the proceeds from these showings that have gone on and hopefully more i don't know if they've announced any more in this series but at least those first two uh the trial on got a cut of of proceeds which is great um and being affiliated with the Trilon, uh, of course, Matt uh follows us and paid attention to our podcast, uh, was gracious enough to uh reach out and see if we wanted to do an episode about this, and we were happy to oblige. Uh, but uh it, it comes after a short string of false starts trying to get you on this podcast, Matt. I don't know if you remember, but originally uh we were going to have a Ronan episode uh And it turned out that we managed to get uh, our good friend, Dan Nagin on that episode before you reached out and we didn't want to shaft him. And then the Thomas crown affair was playing uh, earlier in January or uh, this year. And, uh, and that didn't work out. But finally, third time's the charm for us and Matt Clark. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about what your history is with the trial how you came to find them? And I'm personally interested in how you came to find us.
3: Yeah. So I'm trying to find, I'm trying to think where I first would have heard about the Trilon. It's um a situation where I just would have been looking for film listings and then especially finding you know special screenings and repertory screenings um would have been when I first started going there. And then um I didn't go there for too long before
1: of course they were closed for a little while for the
3: for the embiggening. Um but ever since they reopened <laughs> I've been a a, a regular a, attendee. And, um, and then I would have found um, the podcast on uh, Twitter, um, just by, you know, following local film Twitter, uh, probably a trial on retweet or something like that. Um, But yeah, I'm a huge fan of what they do. And uh, like I say, I've been going pretty regularly um, uh, since they reopened.
0: Can I ask do you have a uh do you have a favorite film experience that you've seen at the trylon
3: so <laughs> you know I will have to say that uh um i i i I shared this on uh Twitter a little bit when they were asking where your favorite place to sit was, and I remember coming to um stalker uh and I thought I was coming early enough to get like a perfectly reasonable seat, but instead I ended up being forced to sit like dead center in the front row, yeah. <laughs> and just sort of had Stalker wash over me. Um, and uh, and that was uh fantastic. I really liked it. I would encourage people to watch Stalker like that. I don't know if that's <laughs> for
2: everybody, but I thought it was great.
1: smashed up against the screen. Yeah, that wow. sounds
2: intense yeah it was Um, it's funny funny. i actually i couldn't get a ticket to that showing because that was one of the showings that sold out like i days in advance right or something like that it was like wild yeah
3: i mean and and just attending a sold out stalker show like how cool is that like you know it's so rad
1: just poured out for it love it great uh well we're happy you're here and we're happy that you uh you're as big a fan of the Trilon as we are um uh, I would just because like it, it seems to be a point of interest for you, this movie as well. Uh, can you tell just where do you want to start discussing this movie and the, and the overall experience? You know, we've all we all had roughly the same experience, right? I'm assuming we were all watching from home uh, and just paying attention and maybe chatting with friends about it. But uh, where do you want to start d- discussing Shogun Assassin with us?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Should I talk just a little bit about my history, personal history with um, either Shogun Assassin or Lone Wolf and Cub or.
1: please. Oh, please. Uh, well, yeah, I please mean, deal. yeah, the more background you can give the better.
3: Sure. So, so my first time seeing Shogun Assassin was actually at the Trilon, um, when Dan brought his 35 millimeter print of that to show, um, with, uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine, that double feature. Um, so that also kind of made me want to talk about the movie with you guys, since it was a movie I actually got to see like at the Trilon, so. Um, And this was only my second time, and that was last year. But um, my sort of experience with Lone Wolf and Cub goes um, much further back than that. I have at least some memory of uh, the manga when it was uh, reproduced by uh, First Comics, um, and that was in the late 80s. Um, But I remember seeing the comics around at the comic stores when I was going there in the 90s. So I had some familiarity with the character but I want to it was when I actually first moved to Minneapolis and uh started uh rummaging through the aisles of uh, Nicollet Village Video that I found they had the entire 6 film series on uh VHS and Holy uh, shit. Yeah, and they were really cool too. Uh even as uh, tape releases they were all letterboxed. They had uh you know um <laughs> I'm going to sound very old, but uh, (laughs) they had like yellow subtitles, which was unusual, but they made it so that you could read them more easily against the film. I
2: I love the yellow subtitles. I've always been uh, an advocate for that. Um, When we saw the Kurosawa movies at the Trilon, that was the one thing that really bothered me about those prints is that um, all the subtitles were white and against the tatami mats, you could never see anything. Oh, impossible. I always always missed those. yellow subtitles and i was always a huge fan of those that's so funny they look so good they look like kill bill or something
3: yeah definitely and like so the kurosawa movies was something i was already at least familiar with you know so i had seen you know Yojimbo and Sanjuro and seven samurai of course and um i think even watched the toshiro mifune samurai movies like samurai one two and three the uh musashi miyoto um biopic movies uh oh miyamoto excuse me um but so Lone Wolf and Cub not only was the presentation pretty special for the time, but like just the movies absolutely like knocked me over um, from the first screening, just from the look. And I mean, you know, obviously there's that you know some stylized violence with the Kurosawa movies, but nothing quite at the 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 fury and the ferociousness of <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub films. And so that was like, you know, I just fell in love with them back then.
1: That's, That's wonderful. Awesome. You, yeah, you, you, so you had experience with the fuller series of Lone Wolf and Cub before actually watching Shogun Assassin. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I missed Shogun Assassin somehow. Um, it's nothing I ever caught on TV and it was not something I had rented from like my hometown video place. I just, I missed the boat on that entirely. And, uh, so once I, I, So at the video store in Minneapolis, I was pretty much like moving my way through their entire samurai section. So you know, after I filled in those Kurosawa gaps, it was like, yeah, these Lone Wolf and Cub movies and uh, you know, Sleepy Eyes of Death and The Razor, and they had all this great stuff at the time. Wow,
1: that's that's wild. I that's something that I it was sort of like. I'm going to use a word that I think Harry's going to object to, but like a hauntology of, of how I would like to be able, like the, the future I do not have of going through uh, aisles at the video store and finding like, even if it's going to be a shitty one, samurai and Kung Fu movies, uh, I've, I've always wanted that experience. I mean, they were around when I was a kid. I'm, I'm not, you know, a, a, a zoomer, but I, I will never be able to just like of my own accord go through those aisles. And know that a human picked these movies to be displayed before my eyes. It's all algorithmically generated. Uh, I'm going to rail against Netflix and Amazon a little bit because most choices that I pull from the algorithm or they're pulled for me are just bad. They're not like bad, good or bad fun. They're just kind of bad. So I envy you a little bit in that respect that you're able to get out there.
2: I miss it so much. I had a, a similar experience not with samurai movies, but with, of course, uh, my local anime section, both at uh, like my public library and then at uh, the blockbusters in like Plymouth and Maple Grove uh, where I grew up. And it was like it was the same thing where I would just like make my way through it, and also just be too young to be looking at that stuff and be intimidated by it, and then like have like weird parasocial relationships with the the people working there where they would like recommend movies to me and and sometimes the movies would be amazing and like really eye opening and sometimes uh they would just be like complete misses where i would just be, be like this is garbage and i'm like i'm 10 and i don't know what this is right <laughs> uh, and uh i miss it so much man like that's such a great experience and uh i totally agree with you Jason like that's the one thing about um video stores and the sort of experience that Matt you described that like i desperately wish that i could have again um which it's interesting because that's kind of what uh the Trilon does for me now i suppose i've never thought about it that way i was about to um, say it's
1: very similar to what the Trilon provides both like when they're during the normal programming and now where they're like directly curating movies for a very specific audience and i don't know it, it the the way that i used to be able to use um video rental stores is kind of the way that the, try the, the, the gap that the trial and now fills right is like introducing me to either like either forcing me to watch movies that have always been on my watch list. My very first trial on movie was treasure of the Sierra Madre, which my mom tried to get me to watch a lot when I was younger. And I, I loved watching old movies with her just never got around to that one. Um, so that's a very interesting, interesting comparison that you make Harry. Uh, I, I, I really like where this conversation is going. But just I'm, it,
2: with the exception that, like, uh, that John Murray is very, very good at picking out movies, so he doesn't miss very often, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the man don't miss. Uh, Matt, you, I just wanted to establish that you've got uh, literacy in Lone Wolf and Cub before you watched Shogun Assassin. So, like, how did you feel? Because one of the most interesting things to me, I didn't know this before watching it. I shamefully did very little research before actually tuning into the stream. Um, I didn't know that this was uh, an Americanized. Uh, like westernized edit of two different films that had already premiered, you know, some years almost a decade before uh, this 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 re edit came out. How did you feel about the differences between those two? And like, did you did you notice it on rewatch? Is is it obvious to you? Is it do you just not care?
3: Um, well, yeah, I mean, it the differences are pretty pretty obvious, uh, especially having like you know stitched <laughs> the two movies together, and then also you know with the with the, uh, Americanized, uh, dub and, uh, just, you know, just some general changes, uh, you know, pure story edits, uh, from that point of view. And I I actually was aware of Shogun assassin for a long time, but, and maybe this is something I'm a little like softened on. Um, but at least as a younger person, I was, I just thought it didn't sound very authentic. And so I wasn't sure why I should be interested. Um, And now having seen it, well, I will say actually the first time I saw it, I was like, I guess I I think I might've been right. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have been that interested Uh, because it was was just so jarring.
1: It was so different. Right. 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 I like, again, I don't have much literacy in this or the movies that preceded it, but it is quite a bit different from what I expected, I guess, especially as part of the 36 cinema repertoire uh, so far
2: uh it's a, there's always sort of an awkwardness to that right because like especially when you consider that that rizza who is like the most legit like OG fan of these movies imaginable uh, in the States is like such a, um, a fan of the dub specifically. And Aaron, you and I have argued about this before. Um, whereas it's funny that like being a pretentious self-styled sort of would be cinephile. I'm like, I've always been like a very heavily subs first guy. And it's so funny that like, to me, Shogun assassin in the abstract represents like something that I find completely hateful right where it was like oh like this this represents this this americanization and sanitizing of this quintessentially Japanese film uh, for a Japanese audience, and, and that that is doing something specific to a Japanese sort of experience um, ostensibly, or at least that fits within a framework of Japanese cinema that we're going to sort of butcher and Americanize and put this soundtrack over and give this westernized dub and change the story, because we can do that, and you can marvel at the violence, right? And so, like, it's so funny that this movie is, like, something that if you had just told me about it, I'd be like, oh, fuck that. Like, no, that's, that's the worst thing I can imagine. But actually, in spite of those things, uh, it still has this this great influence and it impact and it's so um worthwhile to watch and experience, uh right? Which it which is sort of a good counterexample to my sort of knee-jerk um gatekeeping for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah I I we did talk about after we had seen um so this is the this is the second kind of presentation of a film like this that 36chambers.com did uh before they had had done a very similar showing for uh Shaolin and Mutang, uh, which is another album that Rizza had sampled. Um and I don't know, we had we had talked about uh just the idea of like not even just like subs versus dubs, right? But like the Americanization of a lot of these foreign films. Uh because during that screening, um I think both Rizza and Dan Halstead, who again is also like a giant um, you know, martial arts film nerd. They both said they prefer, you know, uh, the dubbed version of a lot of these movies, which is something I found really interesting. Not necessarily from the RZA.
1: Didn't Um, Dan say that this like Shogun Assassin specifically is his favorite movie of all time?
0: Yeah, he did. Um, Which is is wild to me. He prefers this over any of the originals (laughs) in a weird way.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting perspective to have. So
0: you
3: know, and, and Dan's not the only one that feels that way. You know, I think most famously, you know, Quentin Tarantino has you know been a huge booster of *Shogun Assassin*, specifically, um, even though the guy obviously is like you know more than familiar with uh, the you know the original films as well. I always chalked this up to nostalgia <laughs> for for a long time. I, I just I just couldn't imagine uh, why. That would be the preferred version, and 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 I think for a lot of people, if you go back and watch the original series, you know it might be harder to return to Shogun Assassin. But I I think especially on my second viewing, I'm really starting to understand um, some of the some of the smart things they did to make it into a really successful uh, genre picture for more audiences.
1: Yeah, you want to elaborate on those a little bit?
3: Uh, sure. I will uh, do my best so you know i think the first thing that's worth mentioning is that the first movie sort of vengeance is a bit of a hurdle to pass it's doesn't have a super conventional um, plot line it's told in a lot of flashbacks and you sort of like you know ogami ito and daigoro are are sort of in the present time moving through the country and like taking a job and all this stuff. And, and in the meantime, they're flashing back to give you this whole context of their backstory. And a lot of that is filled with, you know, political intrigue and their social hierarchy and uh, even, you know, uh, the, the touching on Bushido and Buddhism and it's, and it's pretty elaborate. And, and I think that, actually seeing this on like a home video format or a streaming format um, is sort of better for an intro audience because they're able to put like historical footnotes as part of the information they're giving you. And that wouldn't have been reasonable or possible in a theatrical release in 1980. I mean, I think it's important to understand that, you know, Shogun Assassin is a movie that went to theaters and stayed in theaters for a long time. And uh, just giving people, that kind of cultural, you know, information download would have been been challenging at best. And uh, and then the other thing they do is like, they really only give you enough of that first movie to get you sort of up and moving. And then they focus more on the second movie, which um, I think follows a much more conventional storyline, um, where it's, it's really, you know, once you've got that backstory out of the way, you're like, okay, you know, we're on we're on the road. We're on the road with the baby card. Here we go.
1: Yeah, it kind of reveals to me a little bit. Again, I've never seen any of the original films, the Lone Wolf and Cub series, uh, but it sort of reveals to me what was considered most essential to understanding the film versus what was just, I guess, fun to watch or could be considered filler. Maybe that's a cynical way to look at it.
2: Yeah, uh, it's so fascinating, Matt, to hear you describe the, the first two movies like that, because unfortunately, um, I'm really kicking myself, but I had not seen those movies. Cody, I know you have, but it, it expressly what you said, Jason, about the fact that understanding that and having this historical download um, and context placement by Dan and by Riza was such a valuable and, and unique experience of this movie, because much like the movie itself, uh, chooses what to frame and focus on in order to illustrate what was important to what the filmmakers, the sort of secondary filmmakers who re-edited this movie, were doing with it. Um, Riza and Dan were able to further historically contextualize the experience for us, and in turn, sort of reframe that reframing. There's like there was like a lot of nested um, framing in, in history behind this particular um packaging and experience of watching the movie that i found really fascinating and got me thinking a lot about in general what shogun assassin was and what it was doing and sort of led me to a much different conclusion about the utility and um value of sort of the reappropriation or, or recontextualization of works this way that I've always been really interested in but that I might have had a more negative view of had I not had this experience with it provided by thirty six cinema and I think that's a really fascinating um experience to have so it's interesting we had talked about uh Jason you and I before how like it, we were I was a little bit worried that I wouldn't be able to sort of produce my um My usual sort of takes, uh, Jesus, much as much as they are, uh, because I like I had some difficulty paying attention to the conventional narrative of this of this movie. Um, But in another way, for the experience of this movie, particularly watching it with that context and with that commentary was really valuable, actually, and really sort of recreated what the movie was doing in its time in another interesting way. You know what I mean? It's sort of a take on a take. Um, but anyway, I'm going to shut up now and let Cody talk. Go ahead, Cody.
4: You don't have to do that. Um, and I'm mostly going to be providing support for points that, uh, y'all have already, um, uh, brought up. Um, yeah, it, it, Harry mentioned it. I've, I came into the Shogun Assassin showing, having seen the Lone Wolfen called cub series um very recent uh, addition to the to the wolf pack um, that's not a thing um, but <laughs> I, I I bop around on on criterion a bunch and i uh, I'm a sucker for for getting roped into franchises um, or just uh, series and and seeing. <laughs> Seeing a series like this where uh, each of the six movies is 90 minutes or shorter, 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 Shorter. that is um, uh, after my own heart. Um, So I'm glad I was able to watch those, um, period, because they're amazing. Um, And also seeing these in advance of of Shogun Assassin. Um, And I think, Matt, you really hit the nail on the head um, just with your your breakdown of uh, Shogun and Lone Wolf, um, that series. Uh, I, I obviously am not coming from a, as uh, much of a loving nostalgic place, um, just having seen them so recently. Uh, but the, I, I guess me coming into Shogun and, and seeing it as others of us have, um, where it was, you know, okay, two, two movies edited together. Um, it's the Americanized recut Um and, uh, the, the initial taste of that was blech, like, that didn't sound like anything I wanted to, it was all, it's also on the Criterion channel and it was just not something I sought out after watching Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, for that and similar reasons. Um, but watching the 36 chambers showing with that context, um, with that com- running commentary and those, um, those tidbits that I imagine you can't really get anywhere else, um, really beefed up that, that, um, screening, which, You know, Shogun feels ultimately like uh, this is a very crude oversimplification, but kind of like a highlight reel. Um, The original series uh, of Lone Wolf and Cub allows us six movies to really bask in this world. The beautiful uh, camera work and the sets um, and the colors. Oh, my God. Um, And we get time to breathe between each of these tentpole fights. Whereas Shogun assassin without going into too much detail, because everybody here uh, and listening should watch these, uh, the original six movies. Um, but Shogun assassin was, was more of, you know, we're going to truncate the, you know, th- this, uh, this world building, we're going to truncate the characters, the characterization. We're going to add in some voiceovers to, to kind of pick up the, the rest of the work. And um ultimately it felt like it had a a lower ceiling just for what it was. But, um, you know, this type of exhibition is, you know, this is why we're here and why we, why we talk about these movies. Um, so I'm really glad we all got to be a part of that.
1: Me too. I'm interested in the way that you sort of positioned the Shogun assassin. I mean, it was a series eventually being made up of mostly just lone wolf and cub movies retitled for the U S or for Western release. Um, how you're positioning the series versus this this recut how like it almost sounds like and i hate to put words in your mouth does it and this is for both of the folks on the podcast who've seen these both like both sets of movies um do you feel like it betrays somewhat the intent or authorship of the original movies in order of making a more quick hit uh like you said i mean i think highlight reel is it's maybe a, a a crude word for it but it's it's what it is right it's just the quick hit the violence the setup the intrigue and and the end right uh so the, the my question in that is uh for matt and cody uh, like do you feel like one necessarily betrays the intent of the other
3: sure um yeah i think you know i think that's an interesting way to look at it so I guess here's my diplomatic answer, right? (laughs) We're all about political (laughs) intrigue. It's lone wolf and cubs. So, so I would say that the overall style of the films is so strong um, that it's still, I mean, it's pretty hard to resist as far as like, you know, what, what they're presenting and, and, um, and actually the way that uh, Cody put it highlight reel, I think is kind of interesting because I mean, and maybe you guys can fill this in for me a little bit, but like on a first time viewing, I I have to think like you don't even necessarily understand the context of like why certain things are happening. Like, you know, you know, why did ninjas kill his wife and where are these ninjas coming from and who are these ninjas? And, but it's, it's, it's fun enough, um, that you don't, I don't think you would necessarily bother you. um, but while I think betrayal is too strong of a word, I think you do lose some of Masumi's voice, um, in because his films are so different and um, lovely, and uh, you know they they do have these almost like quiet, like pantomime moments, because, you know, in the original films, there's no voiceover, Uh, you know, Daigoro says pa every so often, and that's about it. Hmm. And, and, uh, you know, Ito says Daigoro very like forcefully. And, you know, that's, that'll be, that'll be the conversation between them. Um, (laughs) They also change, you know, there's some, you know, Masumi made strange choices. Uh, You know, there's the scene um, where they're on the ship and uh where uh in shogun assassin they're on the ship with the masters of death uh and the way that miss uh, misumi shot that scene is that the establishing shot isn't a shot of the ship you're just below decks and the camera's kind of rocking back and forth and you don't even really know where you are but the camera's rocking back and forth and you're kind of piecing it together and then he shows the like an establishing shot of the ship afterwards he just you know he makes uh, weird. Choices and they're interesting choices. And you do like lose some of those choices with the re-edit. I think, I don't know. Uh, Cody.
4: Yeah. uh, I agree with that a whole lot. I think the, the, the style imbued within the original series makes the most sense when you're able to see those original works all flow together as they were. Um, I think that is, uh, there are kind of different flavors of, of context that, are important um, going into Shogun Assassin. Uh, And that's the stylistic context, I think plays a a big role in that. Um, And the, (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the, the Daiguro voiceovers um, because uh, right. The, the original Lone Wolf and Cub series, um, showcases uh akihiro tomikawa the the young actor uh who played daigoro and whose only film credits are these six lone wolf and cum, cub movies and shogun assassin wow. um it's that it was good huh a, right uh went out on seven high notes um but the the um his his performance is is very uh quiet um but very very physical um the physical performance of of this this kid actor is really important to how these movies and presumably the manga as well, uh, which I haven't read and I regret um, because it sounds amazing. um, But that's very important to how those hearts beat. Um, And um, weirdly enough, I think adding the voiceover for Daigoro in the movie, like it does more to in a way bolster that character because you get to hear Daigoro's inner thoughts, even though they're, part of that that recut and slight restructuring of of the story but what was beautiful about lone wolf and cub is that it was lone wolf and cub it was one unified um uh, force um for lack of a better one one unified entity whereas uh shogun assassin splits those up uh and kind of fractures that uh, a little bit they're two very strong characters but the uh, you know uh um Ito uh, Ogami Ito is referred to in shogun assassin as lone wolf um and that's how he's positioned as opposed to um lone wolf and cub which in the original series every every character who's talking about who has these these people on their tongues they're they're calling them lone wolf and cub it's the two of them together or, or neither of them
3: yeah i just wanted to yeah mention when you're talking about how it changes the tenor and does sort of split them up um it really makes it feel like kind of daigoro's story um because we're getting his sort of internal uh, monologue and his sort of you know explanation for the thing, and and you're right, they really are more just this unified force. Like they are both on this path together, um, and that's what. And 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 you know uh, there, there there's some some betrayal of that here and there. I mean you know there there are points where they're put in compromising positions, and Ito you know does something not quite as dedicated to the path to spare Daigoro. Um, but yeah, instead of getting that internal monologue, you just sort of have this kid witnessing, you know, <laughs> this mayhem and you're sort of left to draw your own conclusions about how it's affecting him and, and, and what he might think about it. Um, so, it you know, it, it creates an interesting space to think about in the film.
2: I find that so fascinating. Um so j- just to be clear you had said there is no Daigoro narration in the original Lone Wolf and Cub that's completely an invention uh of Shogun Assassin
3: Yeah yeah that's right um it and it's and it's a pretty like you know kind of effective one right like that voice does stick with you i think um but Very
2: much so i mean especially after Kill Bill right where you you heard it in that pivotal scene Yeah definitely um, which is which is uh, and we can I'm sorry if this is too much of a digression, but that is the thing about this movie that fascinates me so much in particular is the fact that it is itself a repackaging of an original media, which is when you think about it, kind of itself already a repackaged media, right? Uh, Even the movie is an adaptation of a manga that was then remade into this movie that then RZA, who was our commentator uh, for this presentation that we saw, repackaged in the form of uh, Liquid Swords, Jizza's album. And then uh, Quentin Tarantino reappropriates so many of those albums in a RZA soundtrack of Kill Bill. uh, And then we're watching it now with that commentary and that's sort of a yet another abstraction on top of abstractions it's like watching this movie it, particularly in 2020 is such a fascinating um process of abstraction it's it's viewed at such a distance and with such a a particular historical lens especially when you're actually listening to freaking uh RZA talk about it um and it really highlights and uh foregrounds the the sort of modernist remix culture reframing uh, of this element are of these elements. And and the idea that, that like the author is dead and a work is never just a work and that it always includes the viewer in it. And it always includes the viewer's circumstances and everything else that the viewer brings along with it, such that watching Shogun assassin in 2020 is so different from it, what it was when Riza saw it or what it was when Quentin Tarantino saw it. And I really love the critical questions that that sort of framing leads to, uh, questions like why did the, uh, the Western producers of this movie include that, uh, narration. What were they trying to affect there? What were they trying to say? Why bring over this movie in particular? What was that for? You know, what was that like in 1980? And like, why did they think it would appeal the way that it did? And why did it have the influence on somebody like Rizza that it did? Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking a lot of Rizza's talking points here because Rizza was very open about the influence, particularly uh, last week or two weeks ago or whatever, when he was talking about uh, Wu Tang versus Shaolin and how much the actual thematic content was resonant with what he wanted the Wu Tang Clan to represent. But it's really fascinating to see how advocacy manifests in that way uh, to me, and and even like to hear you guys talk about it leads to so many more interesting questions, right? Where it's like, so why did why did Matt and Cody be why were they affected by these elements in this way? Um, go ahead, Jason.
1: Oh, I was just going to say it's everything that you're saying. Like it rings true to me that 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 it's there are a number of like levels on which to see this viewing. Not only this movie, but this viewing, right, is uh, the level of just like seeing a good samurai film, seeing a good samurai film, and somebody who is incredibly uh, inspired by it and like contributed to its legacy, obviously. Um, But also uh, the I don't know it, it. it's really easy for me to say, cynic that I am, that like, oh, it was edited down and given like uh, expository monologuing for stupid American audiences, right? Which is yes. a very narrow-minded, cynical way to look at what this movie was doing. And, you know, as a piece of marketing, of course, that's like what it was supposed to be doing. It was That's the process of localization, right? It's what works in, in, in certain areas of the world that doesn't work in others or that, you know, uh, that wouldn't have, uh, have sold essentially. But I think that that framing helps me not only like understand the context and place of the movie and wh- like why it is what it is, but also just kind of enjoy the movie. I had, I had a, like I said, I was, uh, not minimally involved. I was paying attention to the film, but it was just between it being my first time watching the film and trying to pay attention to what Riza and Dan were talking about. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, chatting with friends through discord about it, all that kind of stuff just sort of added up to a, uh, an experience that felt more like I was talking about a movie than I was watching a movie. I still like, I still know exactly why I liked watching this movie. Um, I still feel like I got what I needed to out of it, but it, there's sort of a silver lining. There's sort of a, a comfortable bed underneath of all that. That's like, if I want the story of this movie, if I want the whole Like fuller experience of the things laid out here, I can just go back to the first two films in that series, right, and get get the full taste of it. I, again, that's looking past the cynicism uh, of why would a movie be brought to the U.S. in that fashion, Um, and more toward like where does this movie exist in space, in time, and in cultural consciousness? I guess.
4: Yeah, um, and you're bringing up. Uh, cynicism made me replay what I had said back. Um and just in case I, I sounded too sour, um I had a lot of fun uh watching this movie. Um I, I say highlight reel and um granted that is mostly because during quarantine I'm watching a lot of uh basketball clips edited together. Um, you know, sports. Uh but um, you know, the, the best parts of Lone Wolf and Cub are really great pieces of cinema um, watching those set pieces uh, that fight choreography. Um, I mean, watching all of those on a loop with less time to breathe in between them was exhilarating. Um, and and also, uh, you know, I guess we're talking about all the different ways to, to watch Shogun assassin um, or all the different ways we could have. Me going in, not knowing how they were knowing that they were going to cut these movies together and that I would be seeing uh, that, you know, a permutation of those edits, but not knowing what exactly they were going to do was its own particular particular kind of thrill. Um, and, you know, that there are a lot of different ways that could have gone and a lot of those uh, would have been really, really bad. Uh, I'm sure all things considered, I, you know, I, I really liked what I came out with.
2: And to speak to that cynicism, Jason, a little bit, which I think Matt you alluded to talking about your diplomatic answer, which was very funny. Um, And I also like very much feel and uh, mentioned before was sort of my jumping off point with this movie. I don't think it's wrong to feel that way, right? Like I think that there's a sense in which, especially as sort of a an initial gut check, that like yes, this is a cynical product of American uh, capitalization and even sort of. orient orientalism right where it's it's about taking uh a japanese movie and and marketing it as sort of exotic or particularly violent um which which is deeply problematic of course um it's just that even in and of itself the the problematic or or troubling aspects of this movie's uh migration to the west um are themselves fascinating if if not for their motivations or authorial intent then at least in what they affected right I mean here we have this thing that is like the byproduct of some pretty cynical notions, um, as all maybe art under capitalism is in different degrees, but certainly this seems like a particularly cynical manifestation of that in many aspects that in spite of that still affected so many genuine and powerful um, responses and ended up uh inspiring so much art uh and and so much um excitement and beauty and advocacy right like like we even have a micro example of it in Matt where like Matt you found these movies uh in a video store and they resonated with you right and like Rizza had a similar experience to that and he went on to make the the fucking Wu-Tang Clan which is incredible right and and so it's really interesting to me how um that genuine beauty can sort of rise out of these uh these cynical impulses or capitalistic at least impulses um in really fascinating ways and also like how the work itself can stand above or at least to the side of those impulses right where it's like like i can understand intellectually that shogun assassin is sort of a cynical product but it's still its own art form that is separate from lone wolf and cub and not sort of slave to those impulses uh, to the point where it can't be its own thing. It it sort of becomes this very strange um, amalgamation of a lot of different uh, processes that are, that sort of come to you um, in the midst of those things. And it, it's very complicated, I guess is what I'm saying in you know, in a way that absolutely fascinates me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the way that I choose to see uh Shogun Assassin going forward is like as an amuse-bouche, like the thing that somebody would give to me to get me to buy into a larger thing, right? Almost as if it's a really long trailer for the six films that make up the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Um I that maybe is a very simplistic way to look at it, especially given its its uh its provenance, its legacy going forward in time, you know, like there's, there's a certain aspect. uh, There's a certain mindset I have where it's like, Oh, that real, like if, if RZA had seen um, all six films in the lone wolf and cubs series, he would have made an even better uh, like body of work. And it's like, no, it's, it's, it's the product of a very specific place and time and a very specific person discovering that thing when he did. And with the people he did that made it exactly what it was. Right. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. I'm just sort of repeating and rephrasing what, what Harry and the rest have said. uh, But it's, it's impacting in real time what I thought like what I thought the movie was and what it was doing to talk about it right now, and i don 't know if anybody else is having that that experience I guess
2: uh, I am very much so. I promise i'll shut up and let somebody else talk, but I would say that like um Jason, a thing that you said early on that that made a lot of sense to me, but that I actually sort of disagreed with and that I think you ended up disagreeing with yourself is that there's something specifically redeeming to me about shogun assassin uh as its own work and that is the like the weird swagger that it has that i don't know because i haven't seen lone wolf and cub but i don't know if it has it but like these movie this movie is so fucking badass uh, and a lot of it is because of Daiguro's, um narration that Matt mentioned, where like like half of what Daigoro is saying is just meant to frame his father as like the coolest, coldest motherfucker who's ever lived, right? And I have to think that especially because of the way that, that RZA used the samples, that that is what resonated with him. And th- there's something so beautiful and, uh, it, for lack of a better word, this sounds condescending, but like almost adorable about the fact that like Americans were like, so enthused about what the badassness that they saw in the Lone Wolf and Cub movies that they repackaged it in this sort of more westernized way to be like, no, like, look, samurai are the coolest shit that that have ever lived, and then somebody like Rizza was like, oh fuck, like they're right, and it, like he went on to define what like what a version of cool looked like through that uh, in a way that that really speaks to me, um, and that that's so funny and uh, cool. I guess
1: I, yeah, it should be said. I had a great time watching this movie. I had a great time paying attention to like, like Cody said, just like as an experience, it was a really fun time. I like the things I will remember about it as a film will be like, it'll be one of the final scenes in the third act where they're in the sand and you just see like that perfectly split horizon. What goddamn beautiful shots in this movie. It has no right looking that good. Uh, and being this being what it is, basically an adaptation of a comic book uh, that was a that was retooled for, you know, uh, attention deprived, not deprived, but uh, attention uh, deficient Western audiences. Right. Something that's supposed to be quick hit. It's surprisingly still it, it retains a good amount of what I associate with uh, Japanese cinema, like very understated um, encounters with high levels of stylized violence. I I really enjoyed all that. Uh, the part where the one of the assassins sticks his claws into the sand and it just like holds that shot for like a good 10 seconds as the as the blood starts to seep up into the sand. Ah, I'm just re- I guess I'm just remembering some of my favorite parts of the film and I invite the rest of the crew to do the same.
3: Uh, Well, I can't fault you for <laughs> being excited about that. that. That whole sequence is like, you know, arguably like my favorite you know series of battles uh in, in in the series uh starting with yeah like the 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 blood in the sand and then uh um you know finishing out with like the best like death monologue of, <laughs> of all death monologue time um and 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 really just you know it is repackaged and it just i don't know it's just it's it's a bunch of just great great stuff they managed to get the you know initial duel from the first movie uh where uh you know his opponent has a son at his back, and Ito has his son on his back. Which I don't know if that uh, if if that pun manages itself quite as elegantly in Japanese, but it's pretty cool um, in in the film. And then also you have like you know the uh, the women assassins and that whole scene, which is absolutely savage and uh, something that stuck with me <laughs> so from good. the very first moment I saw it. Just yeah. Great stuff. I am sort of curious for you guys. Uh in the in the battle in the desert, the guys uh who were getting pulled out by the claws under the tatami mats, like who was your sense of who those people were? I'm
1: sort of just curious. Oh, no no fucking clue. I still don't know what was going on there. I assumed that they were like fellow anti shogunate uh uh samurai or Ronin rather. I assumed that they had just banded together to support uh the shogun assassin in his, I guess, lone wolf in his mission. But honestly, I was just kind of lost in that moment. It was, it was just like very striking visually and audibly.
4: To, to correct that a little bit. Um, Jason first posited that we had been time traveled back and were indeed watching toy story. Um, but, but then he, <laughs> he sort of remedied that as we went.
1: Hey, can you tell me that, 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 w- what, come on that's exactly that's exactly the scene where the uh soldiers start to come like the 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 broken toys start to come up out of the muck in sid's backyard it was exactly that or that one scene in in mad max fury road where he shakes (laughs) off the dust and flies up in the air ah
4: look you're not wrong cinematic parallels um we're talking about the images that will stay with us um I did want to shout out um the actor playing Ogami Ito uh, when I think of Lone Wolf and Cub and when I think of Shogun Assassin um I think of him uh uh Tomi Saburo Wakayama um and the it came up I want at some point during this stream uh or maybe one of us when we were when we were chatting about it while we were watching maybe one of us brought it up I can't really remember it's all kind of conflated um but it, it is noted, um, throughout history that he's, uh, a, a bit, um, beefier of a dude. Um, but he, I don't, I, I, like how shockingly agile he is. Um, a lot of physical tics that he has a lot of the physicality that he brings into, um, into that character. Um, they really, uh, they, they give it so much. Um, one of my favorite, uh, bits is, Um, following and we we do see it in Shogun uh, Assassin and it's kind of a through line what he does after he kind of concludes an encounter and he puts his sword away it's this big sweeping motion he kind of gets it into a position where he can slowly very slowly slide it back into his uh, sheath I guess Um, brilliant Uh, I love it I I was even miming it out um, at various points during this recording because it's so much fun
3: yeah, uh, you know, I yeah, absolutely love that guy. Uh, and he's just got an interesting background, right? Like he comes from a family of uh, kabuki theater actors, and that's where he got his start. But at least my understanding is, is that he sort of got <laughs> bored of the acting gig and started studying martial arts um, and then got back into acting and studied more martial arts to be a more proficient, uh, you know, Chanbara, like, uh, you know, period piece actor but you know he's yeah he's like a legit badass and you know he really brings that physicality which is you know part of the reason i sort of fell in love with you know we'll just loosely themed martial arts films uh whether they be samurai pictures or kung fu pictures but you know just to see these guys and uh how well their uh agility was uh captured uh in the camera so yeah Yeah. Interesting guy. And I love that story about having to prove himself to the author of the, of the manga that he was, he was capable of, uh, of pulling this off.
1: Imagine being put in that position.
4: Right. And I was actually, I'm so glad you brought that up, Matt, because I was uh, thinking back to uh, a Criterion supplement that I had watched and I'm forgetting all the details now that I'm on mic, which sucks, but I thought I'd remembered because they were still writing the manga after like after the last movie had come out like they hadn't finished writing it and i thought by that point they had started like tweaking uh ogami ito's like illustration to more so resemble uh wakayama um because he was a more i guess maybe more fitly drawn in in the comics and then they sort of worked half you brought it halfway so that it was uh resembling the actor um which i thought i thought was uh was awesome and yeah he proved he was capable of that
1: role uh and so much more it makes me all right get ready prepare (laughs) prepare yourselves makes me want to see a really high octane action film starring with no stunt
0: doubles kevin james (laughs)
4: <laughs> can you can you put in a, a record
0: scratch you're talking about paul blart paul <laughs> blart series of films
3: i mean you you pretty much have the entire like you know sam o. hung filmography to <laughs> to dive into uh you know wherever you want <laughs> that's to, a really you good know, point you know, wow yeah, Driver, got you. i mean any of those you just get to see uh yeah, Samo, Samo bring uh <laughs> the 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 hefty fury. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic stuff.
1: <laughs> I do uh I I like I do have a sincere desire now to watch the rest of the Lone Wolf and Cub films. I I'm looking at their uh Japanese for, well, translated uh Japanese titles versus the uh English uh localizations and I don't know. They're they're a lot of fun. It kind of makes me wonder why why more of them i didn't know that all of them literally all of those films all six of the original japanese films had released 6 years before shogun assassin was ever edited together and i wonder why more pieces it almost feels like like they did have some dedication to the feeling or to the like the source material to not just chop together the coolest bits of all six movies but rather to try and tell something like a conti- excuse me a contiguous story uh maybe that's maybe that's just me
3: Oh, you mean like why didn't they put more of like choose from more of the various films? Uh, yeah,
1: because like I mean, if if we were going with the Cody, um, uh, with, with again that framing uh, that's coming back to bite Cody in the ass so many times, it would have worked as a highlight reel, honestly. If they just pulled like I'm assuming there are also really cool action scenes in the other in the other uh, four films. If they just pulled the coolest action scenes and clipped them together, I mean there'd be discrepancies, right? You'd have differences in in lighting and tone and and style but ultimately you would still have a pretty cool highlight reel. And it just, I guess it says something to me that they didn't opt for that when pulling it West uh, and opted instead to give like the introduction that was going to set up the character and then move into I'm what, is, what I'm assuming was identified as some of the better action.
3: Yeah. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me if some of that came down to cost. I mean, we are talking about sort of American exploitation film here. Um, so I would guess that they were able to piece together the first two movies at a certain price but then they kept releasing them. So there are 5 Shogun Assassins. Um where and, and, and at that point they're just overdubbed and maybe slightly edited versions of the original films, but they just yeah, they just kept coming. Um
1: wow. Would you guys ever watch um I guess the remaining Shogun Assassin films? would you are you that interested in the in the property now or is it uh is it sort of oh, no i've i've read the book i don't need to, see, need to see the movie type of vibe uh
2: i i would first watch all of the lone wolf and cub and then watch all of the shogun assassins again Uh, I don't know if I come at it with exactly the right perspective because I'm like a super nerd about this stuff. Right. Where like, I, I think not to reiterate too many points that I've already made, but the like, the like exercise of understanding and unpacking, uh, like what it means that these movies changed the way they did and why people were interested in them and why they had the influence that they had and continue to have is like for me, the primary takeaway of, of probably not Lone Wolf and Cub, but certainly of like a Shogun assassin, which is kind of funny because it's like, that's not really the intent, right? You're not supposed to peek behind the curtain that way. Um, except that, you know, you can do whatever you want with these movies. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think I would be fascinated to watch all of the Shogun assassin movies because there's something about that migration and, um, reframing of these movies that really speaks to me about like there's something prefiguring the way that that like contemporary culture and media um, deals with self-determination and like like self-identity under culture now um, with the proliferation of the internet and the proliferation of like like brand as uh, content advocacy for all the that's good and bad a lot of the like kung fu and samurai movies that were coming out and the subsequent sort of reappropriation of them are a really fascinating through line in my mind to the way that contemporary culture is about repackaging and, um, and is interested in what our favorite things say about us. Uh, I Bruce Lee and his Jeet Kune Do philosophy was like really explicitly about that, but a lot of like, uh, that era and culture is really about that. Um, and I, I would be really interested in what I could derive from, uh, from the shogun assassin movies even on sort of a purely uh intellectual level uh if that makes any sense yeah i i think
3: it makes sense and you know i haven't seen the the repackaged shogun assassin sequels um i mean obviously i would encourage you to go watch the original films for sure but to what you're saying i think you would find a lot interesting in going back and reading the manga uh, which i have not read all of um it's i think it's 27 or 28 300 page volumes there's there's a lot to get to um, there's also a television series for a long time um, but I from at least the pieces that I have read of the uh, you know the original comic uh, stuff I don't know it is re- I do find it really interesting because there are absolutely frames um, taken from that comic that then show up in the movie and you're like oh look at that oh my god <laughs> you know and and it's also a uh, uh, is it uh Kazuo Kawiki? uh who who wrote the, the the original manga also was a screenwriter i think for i think for the duration the directors shifted a little bit in the in the back half but uh
1: i think he i think he uh, wrote them all wonderful I love to hear that there's like a good thread of continuity there um that like the authorship we've talked so much about uh authorship and and the place of like the person who created it and the people who influenced the creation of it versus the uh interpretation and consumption of a thing so it's i guess it's just interesting to hear that like the originator of the property of the ip uh had some hand in it as far as as far as they possibly could i guess Um, yeah,
2: that's fascinating because like, like, what was he thinking about? Right. Like, what was he thinking? Like, how am I going to make this a movie? And like, what does it mean that it's a movie? And like, what am I trying to say differently with a movie than I am with a manga? Right. Like that in and of itself is also, uh, really ripe for, um, sort of critical questioning.
1: Right. And rarely do you get a scenario like that where an artist gets to move directly from a work that they wholly owned to, like I I guess influencing directly through screenwriting you know I'd assume that somebody like that who is who has a successful manga run under his belt would kind of sit back and say I'm going to be a producer on this one uh but it sounds like that that was not the easy way out that the author took
3: well and just I don't know another point that I I I I sort of find fascinating about all this is that you know the the comic launched in seventy. And the first Lone Wolf and Cub movie is in 72. And then the sixth one was made in 74. So they just absolutely just blazed through the stuff. That's insane. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And then, like I say, continued to make uh, the television show and there was some sort of like, you know, weird seventh movie at some point, I think. So um, like a TV movie type of deal, but yeah. So the fact that he's just churning the stuff out is just, is is pretty wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's nuts. Um this is the part of the where I'm gonna open up the door one last time to anybody's final thoughts. I think I've really excised some of my feelings about this movie.
2: <laughs> um I I w I have one question for Aaron actually, which is that uh let's go. You you're our our sort of resident Wu Tang fan or expert. I mean, I'm a big Wu Tang fan too, but I don't know their their history uh, as well as you do. I don't think. Um, what what was it like watching RZA's commentary in particular with this movie? And like, what did you take away from that as sort of a Wu Tang fan?
0: Um, it was good. I think um, a lot of the questions were fairly. Uh, I don't know, kind of fairly generic. Like, no insult to the people who. You know, suggested a lot of. I mean,
1: the I'll, I'll insult I, the people who suggested questions. Some of them were. You were, are, you were one were of the pretty people dumb. who
0: got a question answered on the on the air. So you, you're included in that, Jason.
1: Yeah, but it was a good question. <laughs>
0: uh, that's true. Uh, Jason very legitimately did have the best question uh, of the night. You you had asked uh, if they uh, go searching for uh, different vocal samples or musical samples, or specifically the riza, uh, or if it's something where you just kind of like a light comes on when, right. when it was, was said
1: it was because there was one scene in which uh while giving commentary over it uh Riza said i always wanted to sample that bit i think it was a, a woman singing or maybe like non-diegetic music of a woman singing and he's like i always wanted to sample that and i like if i were sitting next to the man in person i'd say like why didn't you like what was it about that one versus the others and that got me thinking like in music production i don't do music production but in music production like do you train your ear for that do you do you do you just wait for like the perfect sample to come by do you know how it's going to sound alongside a voice or is every step a surprise every step an experiment and you know he gave good feedback on it he said that it was both you know a good share of both uh ways to do it uh and that um he sort of recalled watching uh, samurai films with quentin tarantino and having that experience of like pulling out from watching these films, pulling out moments that would make really good soundtrack hits or really good hooks. Uh, so it was, it was a great answer. Uh, and I, I will not say the same of most of the questions uh, that came up. Most of the questions were like, how do they make the blood look blood? How do they like, how, what do you think of the acting?
0: Uh, the the guy on. who asked the blood question would have followed our podcast on Twitter, but he's hearing this now. offended, And now he. He's um, trying
1: no, our 70th yeah, episode as, <laughs> as mean, his he, first go.
0: Yeah, this is the first one. No, uh, I mean, you know, I think you kind of have to ask more. I, I, I don't think you know there's going to be any more specific than than that kind of stuff. I think your question was probably like the most specific. Uh, most of the questions were, you know, uh, what's what's another good movie to watch after this one? If I'm interested in this kind of cinema, uh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, I, I liked that he he talked a lot about the philosophy, but behind liquid swords um, and trying to tie the general movements and philosophy of samurai films being, you know, somewhat more uh, slower and deliberate and, and kind of um, uh, violent, but in, in less of a kind of flashy way than a lot of the Kung Fu films, specifically uh, Shaolin and Wu-Tang. You know, he talked about the Jiz as a rapper being someone who's much more lyrical, uh, whose style matches that of samurai films, as opposed to a lot of the other martial arts films that he would, Sample for Wu Tang uh, releases, so um, I, I thought I thought it was good. I thought it, it, it's you know the RZA is one of those guys who is very interesting just to hear kind of wax poetic uh, for for hours on end about hip hop and uh, martial arts films and whatever he has to talk about. So I, I like the experience a lot. Um, I also understand that if this is your first time seeing the movie, then maybe it's a little disjointed. But um, I think it even kind of ties into the experience of watching Shogun Assassin, which, you know, again, is uh, this weird kind of cut together movie from two other films. I think that if you're able to put aside that kind of, um, I don't know, here you call it like gatekeeping. Maybe that's a bit severe, right? But I think if you're able to put that aside, uh, I think you're able to learn to appreciate movies in different ways than you usually do if you watch them in a theater, uh, which is something that I always appreciate. I mean, I, I try and see movies as "Quote unquote," purely as possible the first time, but a lot of my favorite movies are ones that I watch in all sorts of weird, different ways. Um, and I think specifically with coronavirus, people are having to do that—watching movies over the internet with their friends or whatever. So um, it was good, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would, I would ask. It's a curious question, uh, but I hope, I hope we can get some fun with fun out of it. What's the movie you've watched in the most, in the greatest number of ways? I guess different formats and different settings and different. Contexts. Uh, I'll start off mine. It's either a Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope because I've seen that on every commercially available format, and then on Laserdisc. And next to that might be Mad Max: Fury Road, which I've seen on DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, uh, and an airplane.
0: Mine is Star Wars, almost certainly. Just the original Star Wars. <laughs> it, it's got to be. I've probably seen that movie times. I don't oh, know. I don't. I don't mean
1: number of times. I mean different different But formats, Even then,
0: I mean, I've been seeing that movie since I was such a young person. Um,
1: Weird I, I, that, way to say a kid.
0: Got to be the answer. Yeah, I I wasn't going to do the mental math on what it was, but it's got to be Star Wars.
4: Yeah, I think the math lends itself um, to the answer being the movie that you've seen uh the most times period and then just oh well I'll I'll cut to the chase uh for me that's Wayne's world I've watched that movie uh yearly um as of late and when I was younger I you know since I was 4 years old I ran VHS tapes into the ground um definitely watched uh, a DVD a bunch of times and now that I'm in uh, in blue ray mode uh, it's 2020 um I guess um, I guess the next step is, uh, 4k or, or wherever it's at. Um, but if anybody you has watch it. A, you gotta
1: watch it on Quibi.
4: Yeah, that's true. Quibi. Um, if anybody does have a laser disc, uh, Wayne's world, um, copy, uh, hit me up. I will, uh, empty my income, um, onto, uh, like your front porch so that I could get that.
2: <laughs> um, I have a weirdly appropriate answer for the movie we're discussing, I guess. It's sort of a, also a fraught answer, which is. Uh, maybe also appropriate but um there's a there's an anime f- uh film and limited series called samurai x that i watched a bunch growing up um it is the origin story of the um Nabihiko watsuki character rioni kenshin kenshin himura um i was a huge fan of Ryoni kenshin when it was on Toonami. uh it's a samurai um anime and uh because of like weird production disagreements or like uh rights disagreements different studios made different parts of the original manga so i read the original manga uh, which has the origin story the samurai x story um and i watched the television series and i watched the movie and then there was like a second sort of retrospective movie so i'd seen that story repackaged a bunch of different times by a bunch of different sort of studios um it's fraught because uh Wazuki was arrested for child pornography uh and is a uh, miserable Cretan and nobody should probably check out anything having to do with Rione Kenshin because of that, uh, which is a shame because it was a really integral part of my childhood. Um but uh so that's interesting, right? Like that that's sort of um similar to Shogun Assassin in that like all of those different retellings focused on different things and the most pivotal um, sort of like landmark media, which was Rioni Kenshin, the TV series because of um, production or rights disagreements, they couldn't show the origin. So the actual like main way into that series does not depict the origin of how the character came to be the way that he was, um, which is like a weird, fascinating um Spirit of the Beehive thing, where it's like there's there's this d- dissociated, um, misplaced story somewhere out there that you have to sort of fill in the blanks about on your own. Um, that's kind of funny, right? Uh, and in terms of format, I think I've I've seen all of the like Miyazaki movies in like every single format imaginable, like subs and dubs, VHS, uh, Blu Ray, DVD, probably like Laserdisc. Uh, oh, maybe and theatrical, like- right? yeah, And theatrical and like recut uh TV show versions and all of that uh bullshit. Uh Matt, do you do you know the movie that you've seen in the most formats or in the most different ways? Can you think of one?
3: Yeah, I'm trying to think of one. I mean, I'm tempted to say like just, you know, an old favorite like uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian or like RoboCop, you know, something that I would have, you know, seen on TV and, you know, got on VHS and I've seen them in the theater of bunch of times as well as different formats and different cuts but uh when you said miyazaki it made me think you know uh there's a there, there's at least a decent chance it's probably the uh castle of Cagliostro just because um it's a movie it's i've like, owned yeah. in like just about every oh, yeah. at, and then, uh, i've seen just about every dub yeah i have seen every dub come to think of it um, hey, Matt,
1: Matt, I think, uh, we'll I think jump- need your, we need your bargaining power to get them to like find reels of that and play it at the Trilon.
3: Oh, how great would that be? I mean, yeah.
2: Uh I found an Italian language thirty five millimeter on eBay for like six thousand dollars or something. So if anybody <laughs> wants to learn Italian and project that, we could do it that way. Hey, I have been um, I have
1: been I have been more surprised about films that John has procured than a six thousand dollar anime from Italy. Like I he he more or less promised to get us Goofy movie. <laughs> uh
2: I should take this time <laughs> yeah, real true. quick to talk about, uh, sorry if this is embarrassing, Matt, Matt has a very good, uh, letterboxd. You can follow him on. He just recently wrote a really dynamite, uh, castle of Cagliostro review on there. Uh, it's so you can so check good. that out. It rules. Yeah. Uh, you should follow Matt on letterboxd. Oh, thanks
3: guys. Uh, that was, a uh, we, you know, we discussed it in my, uh, in my film club and I'm like, I, I need to suck it up and actually write something coherent down about Cagliostro. And it's not easy cause it's, you know, very near and dear to me. So, uh, thanks for checking it out.
2: God yeah I think that was like the last Miyazaki movie I I'd, I'd never seen and I saw it like for the first time I think last year it just like somehow escaped me and uh the the fact of discovering a Miyazaki movie that was as good as other Miyazaki movies that I had not seen before was like like finding a piece of myself that I thought had died and would never return it was like <laughs> it was like I felt alive again it was amazing
1: it's wild like the first time not to go on too much of a tangent, but hey, we're on the Castle of Cagliostro thing. The first time I watched that, I actually, I think I bought it because it was on sale and because I had heard the name before, not because I was familiar with the Lupin series and not because I knew that it was uh Hayao Miyazaki. So then seeing that it was Hayao Miyazaki and just seeing how like incredible it is, it's one of his best movies. If not, I mean, it's pretty close. It's pretty close to best for me. I mean, I know Aaron's got a really high opinion of that movie too, right?
0: I grew up, that's in terms of movies I've seen the most times, it's like Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably Castle Kelly Stroke third. I would imagine. I grew up with like a VH copy of that.
1: That's crazy. I I love that movie. Uh we should do an episode on that and and invite Matt back.
0: I'm a I'm a fan of the dub on that one too. That's another that's another yeah. hot take. I like the dub on that one a whole uh, lot. Yeah,
1: the dub's pretty good. I think, especially for American audiences, the uh the English voice is just too intrinsically tied. Um, kind of like what's his name is it john dimaggio or steven bloom who plays cowboy bebop anyway
2: that steven bloom uh
1: plays spike yeah the whole uh, um, dubs are a fascinating thing to talk about right yeah that's
3: what i was just about to say like you know this feels like the like the appropriate conversation to talk about the streamlined pictures dubs and all that carl masek stuff and 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 robotech and
2: what is robotech and uh yeah we could <laughs> go down an entirely different rabbit hole there are like six discrete dubs of Castle of Cagliostro, right? There's like a billion of them
3: i can I can think of three specific English language ones, but there's probably more than that and then, of course, the
1: original Japanese I would like to see it in every available language i I love that movie to death.
2: Um, it's funny that we're talking like anime and, and I know we're, we're sort of running out of time here, but like, it's, it's weirdly appropriate, right? That like, like Shogun Assassin was, was Riz's sort of entrance, uh, in a lot of ways, along with a bunch of other movies into this whole sort of world that, that he could define himself. Uh, through or sort of come to understand himself and what he wanted through. Um, and that was sort of what I was alluding to earlier. And like, I had a similar experience with that with like anime and stuff, right? And, and video games and stuff. And it's, it's so interesting how that manifests, right? How like people find their, their like niches. And like, of course it turns out everybody has similar ones, right? That's why we can have like conversations like this where we've all been shaped in uh, discrete but similar ways by media like this. But it feels like, something about it just speaks to you all of a sudden right like it overcomes or it it hits some deterministic uh jackpot for you um and so there there's a there's an interesting relationship between anime um and shogun assassin and kung fu movies and all of that right where it's like something about it just hits and it's like it it helps uh Self define at at pivotal ages or something, um, and I find that so fascinating. And it was such a good experience to like to be able to um, hear Riza and frame it that way, and start to think critically about where that comes
0: from. Go ahead, Aaron. It's weird because I I kind of view this movie. Um, this movie is very similar to what a lot of people are kind of currently doing on the internet. Like this movie is very comparable. Um, to like what a lot of people do with like the Star Wars prequels or like the Hobbit movies where they're like eh, these movies are kind of shit but let's maybe try and cut them into something a bit more manageable right like let's take this scene from over here let's take this scene from over there and let's edit it down into maybe one film or two films that work a lot better obviously that's a little bit different like if, if this movie is uh, if Shogun Assassin is taking two Japanese films and kind of uh, distilling it down into something that's a little more understandable for an American audience. those you know internet kind of fan cuts are kind of doing the opposite where it's here's three completely kind of dog shit movies. Let's try and create something that's good out of it um but I, it seems very familiar like it seems like that that this movie I'm not gonna say like inspired a lot of those fan cuts, but as the internet become you know became a thing and your everyday person has access to editing tools and, and digital copies of movies. Um, it's weird that like, there are a bunch of versions of this. And I was thinking like, what movies would I want to be done in this style? And like, maybe this is like sacrilegious, but like, I would love to see like the first two or maybe even the first three, like Mad Max movies, like cut into like oh, one man. coherent movie. You know what I'm? That's now,
2: great, i That's a great example.
0: Yeah. And, and Mad Max is of course, so influenced by Westerns and, and Samurai, especially like Ronin films anyway. Um but I don't know. That's something I thought about.
2: Uh Matt, were you gonna say something? I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh
3: no, well I was just when when you uh when Aaron was mentioning that uh you know the <laughs> Shogun Assassin has sort of reminded him of what people are doing with fan edits now. Uh I just I remember I was reading um the nineteen eighty like uh Vincent Canby New York Times review of Shogun Assassin, and he actually compared it to uh uh, uh, What's Up, Tiger Lily, that uh, uh, Woody Allen film where, you know, he takes an old uh Japanese like spy movie and then just like recuts, you know, what he felt to be hilarious <laughs> dialogue over the top of it. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but that's like, I don't know, what is that 1965 or something like that? So I guess.
1: 66, yeah. Yeah. The fan edit. It has been around for a while. <laughs> hey, release the Snyder cut, right? am or i right guys an, let's and, release the snyder cut guys oh uh, no
2: and that and that's so that's so similar to like what actually like hip-hop itself is with like sampling and remixing and recutting right is like there that's a it's a similar i mean obviously different art form but ultimately all of those recuts and re-edits become their own art form they become their own creative work right and and that that's you know, that's been going back forever. I mean, that's what T S Eliot was all about. Uh, and, and before him, that's sort of what, what the modernist movement writ large is all about is about what, what happens when you, when you take this, this work and you just, you slant it a little bit and you add some new stuff and you remix it a little bit, it, it becomes something completely different while still sort of maintaining the certain essential elements that you wanted from it. Um, and that's, that's really cool to me. Um, even if it can be fraught sometimes, like with T.S. Eliot.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, with all that ground covered, I want to now roll out the red carpet for a short series, uh, li- limited mini series we're running on Trilove called uh, Cody's noties, wherein we ask Cody to uh, put to Mike some of the thoughts that he had during the movie and committed to paper and or I don't know where you actually take your notes anymore.
4: Wow, limited series. I think that's the highest honor I've ever been bestowed.
1: This is how um, I'm this is how I'm telling you that we're not going to do it again anymore after this.
4: Yeah, no, I it's more than I deserve to be fair. Um and this one is a little bit of a cheat um because it is exclusively um it's just, it, real quick noty. Um it's something I looked up after the fact. Um uh, about i i guess it's a, as much lone wolf uh and cub as anything but um the rights for subsequent like uh iterations of or you know remakes of that story um they've passed those rights have passed through different hands um recently uh within the past uh 10 years or so they've changed hands uh, a couple times in 2012 when Justin Lin uh was tapped to um uh tap to, to direct a, a US remake uh, in 2012 that would have been smack dab in the middle of, of Fast Five and Fast uh, and, and the Furious Six when uh, he got those rights um, nothing obviously came of that uh, and in 2016 and this is the most recent exchange that I could find um on wikipedia uh but 2016 they went to some dude named stephen paul who i hadn't heard of um he has produced such pieces of shit uh as um pottersville the michael shannon sasquatch movie or something i haven't seen it (laughs) Uh, and um uh drumroll please uh the ghost in the shell remake um so let's hope that stephen paul never makes uh, a lone wolf and cub remake, or you know, produces any movie uh, ever again. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Not that I think a U.S. remake of Lone Wolf and Cub is is necessary by any means, but if the right people were behind it, that could be pretty fucking cool. Yeah,
1: Takashi Miike or nobody, T.B.H.
4: Bro, oh my god, you got me wilding.
1: Uh, well, I, I don't want to close the door too early. Is that, is that the end of Cody's notice? Have you reached the end of the scroll?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Just uh short and sweet notie. Uh I do take my notes on, on paper. Um, the, na- the notebook I have in front of me, um, I've been uh, getting down to the end of my Midori paper notebook, um, very exquisite paper, uh, and it's almost out. I haven't decided what notebook I'm going to go to next. The pen I'm using is it, you just say BIC, right? B I C. Um, it's Atlantis, so, it's one of those cheap pens, but it's really smooth with the click the click and unclick. I don't know if the bike's picking that up
1: you wanna but, you um, wanna give me the are we, uh, are we
2: getting Cody's noties Noties right now We're getting Cody's I noties, a s
1: m r noties is what we're getting uh do you wanna tell me the gauge of that paper real quick? The gauge
4: of the, the approximate uh,
1: thickness and and grit well, let me tell you whoops, I think I
4: knocked my mic uh
2: guys we have a to, guest we don't have to, we don't have let me let
4: me tell you that I don't know what it is.
2: <laughs>
1: I appreciate your candor. I'm not sure, uh, Jason. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, then I will uh, take us out here. Um, actually, should I should I leave the door open? Anybody else have any final thoughts? I know we we got a, a couple of instances from from Aaron and and Harry. Uh, Matt, was there anything else you wanted to cover for this movie, or if we, or if we tapped you dry?
3: Um, I, you know, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I would just always encourage people to you know go watch. Uh, the original films but I gotta say I'm really just warming to the idea of Shogun Assassin as just a super fun movie especially to see in um, a great theater like the Trilon or in this
1: sort of communal
3: setting is like seems like the way to do it
1: yeah this was I gotta say uh, this has been the second best thing to seeing a movie at the trial on is, is seeing like just an enhanced version of a movie, uh, in like a slightly less desirable way. Still pretty communal, still pretty, uh, still pretty like a mutual experience among friends. Um, all right. Well, that has been our episode of tri love about Shogun assassin and the special presentation from 36 cinema featuring Dan Halstead and Riza of Wu-Tang clan. Um, uh, you can fi- follow our podcast at TryLove uh, Podcast. You can follow the Trial Cinema at Trial Cinema. Sign up for their newsletter where you'll find out more about uh, upcoming offerings and ways you can support them during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, including some recommendations from uh, volunteers at the Trilon and from administrators, John puts together a good uh, a good collection and he's been interviewing folks really interesting folks from across the the film industry and I mean film like like actual projected film film uh, so those have been really interesting. I hope they keep those up. Um, I take a little bit of responsibility for, uh, on behalf of our podcast, for encouraging them to try and get out and do more uh, self promotional marketing stuff, and and it seems like this has been uh, some of the realization of that. So, um, uh, John, I'll be waiting for—I know that he doesn't listen to this—but I'll be waiting for a royalties check or at least a recognition somewhere on your website. You can leave a link uh, to our podcast. Uh, My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me at Nintendoofus on Twitter.
2: I'm Harry. You can find me at Shitaki Harry.
4: I've been Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH.
1: And
0: I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB, please.
1: And the other voice you've been hearing has been Matt Clark. Thank you so much again, Matt. Your presence really made this episode. Thanks for having institutional knowledge of everything we wanted to talk about on this episode. And I hope you'll come back sometime in the future.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun and I would love to come back and Uh, hopefully we can find something else I know about (laughs) that makes it easier.
1: (laughs) Uh, if anybody else here played, um, Sonic Adventure 2. It feels like finally playing as Big the Cat. We have finally caught like the prized fish. We finally got you on the show. There are a few like white whales for us. One of them was Jenny Ackerson. One of them was Kyle Olson. And now I feel like we've completed a certain trifecta. We need to identify three more people who will never be on a podcast and then finally get them there. Uh, Uh,
2: Well, it's it's everybody now because you just mentioned Sonic Adventure 2 and Big the Cat. So um, (laughs) we'll never have another guest. Is this Uh, the video game? Thanks for killing that where it lay. But uh, I appreciated the reference. I was wondering if we
3: would get through this without a uh, video game reference I have absolutely no context (laughs) for.
1: (laughs) You don't know us well (laughs) enough, Matt. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, uh, and check in again next week for whatever we cover then.
4: Now, I don't remember most of this myself. I only remember the Shogun's Ninja hunting us wherever we go, and the bodies falling, and the blood.